Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host. Today I'd like to read a verse from Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, which says, Jesus speaking, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. This verse tells us that Jesus Christ is the beginning. He's the creator. He created this earth out of nothing. He's the sustainer. He won, He's the one that keeps everything in orbit and keeps us alive each day, each breath. And he's also the one that will end it someday because the Bible tells us he's coming back. And of course, we're all looking forward to that great event. So in light of these things, we ought to live a godly and holy life. And we ought to bow in submission to him and do his work and do his will. This is a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio Doug and his beautiful wife, Linda. And we're so thankful uh, for their ministry. Uh, they've actually traveled the world uh, discipling pastors and others uh, to know more about the Word of God, to have a deeper dig into the Word of God. And um, I think they have over a thousand folks that they've actually ministered to and have in different programs of growth. Um, they've trained pastors in Sierra Leone and several other places uh, out of the well drilling uh, ministry. When we dig a well, we have a, a uh, dedication, and at that point, people were saved, and then we choose probably the person that has the most education in the village or at least can speak good English, and they're the ones we, we train to be the pastor in the village, and Doug and Linda are really uh, instrumental in, uh, in that process. So, Doug, why don't you uh, tell us how the how the Lord uh, got to where you are. I understand you were a pastor for several years and then the Lord called you to do this ministry. During that time, we began developing training materials because we felt the importance of indigenous uh, movements of training, mentoring, training trainers, uh, using the Second Timothy 2 to equipping faithful men to teach others also. And then as it would round out, we would develop the teaching triangle that we have in all of our fields where we have an equal emphasis on knowing, uh, theological training, knowing the word, knowing God, and doing, which is the service of evangelism, discipleship, shepherding, mentoring, leading, uh, the works of the ministry, and then equal emphasis also on being godly, uh, authentic Christianity, equal emphasis on all three parts, and then having it modeled with our team leaders in the various cultures and countries. Tell us about some of the experiences you have, and maybe tell us about some of the countries that you visited already, so. Well, we, we've been 
yes, around the world, but there are some places in which we've spent a little bit more time and we've had our share of the usual uh, airline mishaps and things like that, but our hearts are stirred wherever we go because the people have many similarities the world over, having hurts and pain and uh, common events and things like that, but also having their little quirky things and like that. Uh, we've enjoyed the volcanoes of, of Costa Rica, as well as the great enthusiasm of the people there bubbling like volcanoes and uh, being able to teach them. I do women's seminars and children's work, things like that. And we've enjoyed ministries in several parts of India also where the, the people are just so warm and their hearts overflow with their regard and their respect and their love. And we love to see them come to Christ and absorb the word like thirsty sponges. And of course, Sierra Leone, you see the need around you so very profoundly, but the need for the word of God is, is every bit as profound, and if not more. And uh, we're very thrilled to be seeing fruit there too. One typical experience in India was uh, uh, similar to what happens often when uh, we go into an area and begin training and teaching, the mobile phones come out and they start saying, hey, this is actually training that's good for us. Uh, so they start coming. And uh, we were in Andhra Pradesh in the central southern part of India in the uh, uh, Telugu-speaking region. And uh, we were prepared for 25. And how many arrived there for? Uh, 93. Uh, uh, iron sharpens iron kind of ministry and our relational development of loving and caring about you as people. Do you have any specific stories of tremendous uh, spiritual victories or? Well, just this last uh, trip to Sierra Leone, we were out and doing a bit of a graduation exercise for some of our pastors having gone through the five tracks of our uh, chronological uh, Timothy Seminary sessions and, and uh, curriculum. And being able to hand certificates of completion to pastors with the first name of Muhammad. I <laughs> uh, never thought that would happen. <laughs> and yet some of the most diligent and some of the most Holy Spirit driven and guided godly people are those that are trophies of God's grace that have come out of that darkness mm. and come to the light of Christ. And you, you don't look at the outside package you know, we are all testimonies of the perishing tent of clay in which we are housed. Uh, you look at them and you see, you know, these are ones, each one of them have goals and dreams and ambitions and likes and dislikes. They have gifts. They have value for the kingdom. There's no throwaway people in the kingdom of God. And it's a beautiful thing to be able to relate to them and taking them from where they are to where they need to be by God's grace. It's the process of mentoring and growing. And uh, the exciting thing is that uh, we see ones from all over, whether they're in the jungles or in the urban jungles of the cities, uh, in places in Central America, Europe, and Asia, and Africa, and various other places. And so it's a privilege to be able to serve the Lord uh, after a conviction in our hearts that this is what needs to be done to equip 
the saints for the work of the ministry. Within their own resident culture and language, it becomes radically indigenous because I teach it the first time and then they teach it from there on for all of their own people. And uh, each one of them a success story, uh, each one of them having the gifts and talents and skills and aptitude and interest and excitement in their hearts that God uniquely uses them. Uh, some of you would give testimony this morning of the fact that I never thought I would stand behind a pulpit or behind a lectern or would be in front of people and sharing God's story, uh, share the unsearchable riches of God's grace. And we, we give testimony not only by what we say, but by, by what we are. Uh, people around the world have a radar for authenticity, don't they? No matter what language group, no matter what culture they're in, they know. Amen. Uh, they, they see it, they sense it, they, they all have a, 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 a sixth sense about all of that. And finding the value and finding the, 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 the Holy Spirit equipping. We get up in the morning and uh, we have this schedule and uh, some of you know that in some cultures that uh, schedule uh, can look a certain way and then it, things get shoehorned in throughout the day and sometimes you're up in the early hours and keep going until after midnight and you're still going but somehow there's still fuel in the tank. It's a, it's a miraculous provision of, of God's Holy Spirit to allow us the privilege of spending and being spent for the glory of God. So I appreciate that very much about you and about your ministry. I thank you so much for uh, the hard work that you've done and uh, putting the curriculum together in the first place and then sharing it around the world. God has really blessed that. We appreciate that very much. Let me pray for you. Father, thanks so much for allowing us to be here with Doug and Linda. We thank you so much for their passion. We thank you so much for their desire to serve and to build up the body of Christ and to equip workers to do the work of the ministry. Lord, I pray that your good hand of blessing be upon them. I pray that they would have journey mercies as they travel. And I pray that you continue to give them open doors in a mighty way as we ask it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you so much for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. As you're aware, this is a listener-supported program, and we would not be on the air without your help, prayers, and support. We are coming into the summer months, and that's a time when people like to be outside. They like to be more active. And through the winter months, and they go on vacations, and fortunately through the summer months, we have a dip in our income. And so we would ask you to pray that God would help us through these summer months, as it's always difficult to fund ministries through this time. This month, we're offering a wonderful booklet. It was written by Dr. Fred Hartman, one of the speakers on our broadcast. It's entitled Lifestyles on Earth When Jesus Returns. And what he does in this booklet is to explain the scriptures that talk about the end times and, the, and how life will be on earth when Jesus does return. And then he compares it to today's events, their political events, their historical events that are happening today. And it's a wonderful booklet and it's very encouraging. And when after you read it, you realize that we are in the last days and the Lord could return soon. And I, so I would pray that you would write in and ask for your copy of Lifestyles on Earth. When Jesus returns, you will not be disappointed. You can write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R787, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York, 14231.
Today's message is from the Honorable Ernest C. Manning. Printed copies of this message are available upon request. Thus far in our discussion of what the Bible calls the faith which was once delivered unto the saints, we've dealt with five cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith. They are the verbal inspiration and divine preservation of the Scriptures, the deity of Jesus Christ, the blood atonement and its role in redemption, the literal bodily resurrection of Christ, the revelation of the gospel of the grace of God to the Apostle Paul. If you missed any of these talks and would like to have a complete set for future reference, they're available in manuscript form, free and postpaid on request. Please let us know if you'd like to have them. Our subject today flows logically from our examination into the origin of the gospel of the grace of God. Be sure you recognize the difference between the gospel of the kingdom and the gospel of grace. The gospel of the kingdom preached by Jesus Christ throughout his earthly ministry was the good news that someday, as the Messiah of Israel, he will establish on this earth a kingdom of universal righteousness and peace. He will regather the house of Israel from the nations among which they have been dispersed and establish them in their homeland of Palestine, where he will reestablish the throne of David and reign over the entire earth as king of kings and lord of lords. That will be the greatest and most glorious era this world will ever know. The curse of sin will be removed. The devil will be removed from the world scene. There will be no more poverty and want, no more injustices and inequities, no more violence and more crime. The kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. With righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall judge among many people and rebuke strong nations afar off. And they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war any more. But the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. What a day that will be. We'll devote a whole talk to that coming kingdom of heaven on earth later in this series. Now had Israel recognized and acknowledged Jesus Christ as their promised Messiah when he came to this earth the first time, he would have established his kingdom then. For they rejected him and had him crucified. God used their rejection and Christ's death to open the door of divine mercy and forgiveness to all mankind. He laid on Christ the iniquity of us all, and he became the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Three days after his crucifixion, God raised him from the dead. And forty days later, he ascended back to heaven, from whence he sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, giving birth to the kingdom church, made up of Hebrew Christians who believed in Christ and became witnesses of his deity and resurrection. Their witness was to members of the house of Israel, and thousands believed. Had Israel as a people believed and acknowledged Christ's deity and messiahship in the light of the added proof of his resurrection, he would have returned even then and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. But they continued to reject him and bitterly persecuted those who believed. God then brought about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, the Hebrew of the Hebrews, a better opponent of the fledgling kingdom church. We discussed in our last talk how God, by divine revelation, committed to Saul, whose name was changed to Paul, the gospel of the grace of God, the good news that Israel, having refused to acknowledge their Messiah, God therefore proposed to extend his salvation to the Gentiles, and call out of both Jews and Gentiles 
another people for his name to be known as the church of Jesus Christ. Salvation no longer was to be linked to the observance of the law of God for Israel given to Moses on Mount Sinai, but was to be solely through faith in the resurrected Christ and the atoning efficacy of his shed blood. Paul capsulized the gospel of grace in these words, Be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, that is Jesus Christ, is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things, from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. By the grace of God and the redemptive work of Jesus Christ on behalf of all mankind, the Gentiles were to become fellow heirs with God's people Israel, and of the same body, and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. And that promise is, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Or as the Apostle John says in John 1 and 12, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. All those who believe and respond to the gospel of God's grace, by receiving Christ as their personal Savior, in this age of what Paul calls the dispensation of the grace of God, are referred to in the Scriptures as comprising the church of Jesus Christ. Now the term church in the Bible has five different usages. One, it is a term applied to any called out body of God's people. Acts 7.38 refers to the Israelites of, in the Old Testament times as the church in the wilderness. Two, a place of worship, that is a church building. The term is used in this sense in 1 Corinthians 11.20-22 in connection with the communion ordinance. 3. A local body of believers in Christ. In this sense, the term often is in the plural, as in Acts 16.5, which reads, So were the churches established in the faith, and increased in number daily. 4. A general assembly of representatives from local assemblies, as in 1 Corinthians 14.23, which speaks of the whole church being come together into one place. And five, the universal church of Christ, referred to in the scriptures as the body of Christ, of which he himself is head. Paul, speaking of that universal church or mystical body of Christ, says in 1 Corinthians 12, As the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free? For the body is not one member, but many. He then compares the coordination and the interrelationship that exists between the members of our physical bodies with those of the church or mystical body of Christ. He says, If the foot shall say, Because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, Because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. In Ephesians 1, 22 and 23, Paul says of Christ, God hath put all things under his feet, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. But in Colossians 1, 18, he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, 
that in all things he might have the preeminence. It is important to understand that Christ's church is both an organization and an organism. Christ himself is the founder of the organization and the divine head of the living organism. The church is his mystical body. He said of the church as an organization, upon this rock, that is upon himself, will I build my church. Every group of Christians desiring to be a local assembly of Christ's church should be structured after the pattern outlined in the Bible with scripturally ordained elders and a bishop or chief elder possessing the qualifications set out in Titus 1, 5 to 9 and 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. A scripturally established church assembly is not a man-made organization. It is a unit of Christ's church, which he established, and ordained to be the institution for the edification and spiritual growth of Christians. It must, therefore, operate under the rules that Christ himself has laid down for his church as an organization. And those rules are not open to revision or modernization, simply to conform to changing times and mores as many seem to think. Within the numerous church assemblies or congregations, there have developed many denominations, largely as a result of some believers placing greater emphasis on some aspects of Christian doctrine and practice than on others. This is not necessarily a bad thing, because God doesn't reveal all His truth to any one group of believers, and may use the diversity of enlightenment and emphasis to advance the gospel in a society whose members are themselves diverse one from another. Many Christians today tend to be attracted to Christian organizations operating outside the scripturally structured church. I'm not suggesting that such organizations are not doing worthwhile work. Many of them are more spiritually aggressive than some churches, and their members more zealous in soul winning and befriending those in need. But the fact remains such organizations are not a substitute for the church organization which Christ himself established. This situation points up the great need for genuine spiritual revival on the part of many churches. If the churches, and especially those who profess to be Bible-believing, Christ-centered assemblies of Christian people, were fulfilling their role as Christ intended, there would be no need and little inducement for Christians to form organizations outside the church to do what the churches themselves should be doing. Too many churches fail to demonstrate by action their professed concern for the lost, or they may fail to demonstrate the humanitarian concern Christ intends his people should have for the poor, the weak, the downtrodden, and the oppressed. Sometimes there is a tendency for church members to regard the world outside as the enemy rather than as the great body of lost humanity for whom Christ died and whom he loves and wants to save and restore and bless. In other cases, church members who cherish, cherish various Bible truths are not well enough grounded in the Scriptures to give an answer to those who challenge them. The tendency, therefore, is to become church introverts, seeking fellowship and association only within their little church circle among others like-minded who therefore do not challenge their beliefs. This is not what Christ intends for or expects from his church. Another misconception is that the role of the church assembly primarily is to evangelize. The Bible pattern is for each member of the church to be a personal soul winner, 
exercising his or her faith in Christ among unbelievers with whom they come in contact outside the church. The church is the place to which God intends they should then bring those they have won, that they may there gain a deeper knowledge of Christ and of the Scriptures, to qualify them in turn to be effective witnesses among their friends and acquaintances outside. Day by day, month by month, year by year, God in His amazing grace and mercy continues to bring people under the sound of the gospel, which the Holy Spirit then uses to convict of sin and lead to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. The Word of God, which is the seed, and the Holy Spirit who energizes that seed, are the essential requirements of genuine conversion. The role of the Holy Spirit includes placing believers into the great mystical body of Christ, where they then should function as members one of another and subject to Christ, who is the head of the body. Someday when the last call and last response results in the completion of that great mystical body of Christ, He will return to the clouds of heaven and remove His completed church from this earth to be forever with Him. Here again, those soul-stirring words from 1 Thessalonians 4. The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That is the next great universal event predicted to take place in the prophetic scriptures. God willing, if Christ tarries, it will be the topic of our next talk in this, in this series. But I can't help stressing as we close today that there is no guarantee that we'll be here next week. The personal appearing of Jesus Christ for His church may take place any day, any time, as the scriptures say, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Our great concern is that you who are listening to this broadcast and who perhaps have listened often before should be ready to be translated with Christ's church when He appears. Whether or not you will be taken or left behind to face the tyranny of the Antichrist who will then emerge on the world scene depends on whether or not you have responded to the good news of the gospel of the grace of God by receiving Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and Lord. If you haven't or if you have any doubt, will you bow in prayer and as our invitation hymn is sung, I trust the message that you just heard will be a great blessing to you throughout this next week. It's Canada's National Bible Hour's heart that those who listen to us could grow in their faith, that some of the scriptures that are shared meaningful to you as you meditate upon what was just spoken to you. And we pray for those who may not know Jesus Christ personally. And so we share the gospel here at the end because we think it's really important. The Bible says it's by grace you're saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. The gospel is simply this that you are a sinner. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We understand that the wages or the payment for our sin is death, that's spiritual death, that's separation from God, that's eternity in a place called hell. But the gift of God, the thing that Jesus Christ did, the thing that God the Father did for us, is he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him, have your faith in him, will not perish, but have everlasting life. 
And so we're asking you, if you've never received Jesus Christ personally in your life, to ask him to come in. And if you're sincere and if you're repenting of your sins, you're confessing your sins to God, you will be saved. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's the verse that brought me to Jesus Christ. And I've served him now for some 65 years. Remember to write in to get your copy of Lifestyles on Earth When Jesus Returns. This is by Dr. Fred Hartman, and I highly recommend this uh, to encourage you that the Lord is coming soon. Please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7, or in the United States at Box 2010, Buffalo, New York 14231. You can also get past broadcasts on our mission website. That's www.missiongo. I trust that you'll continue to listen to our internet radio. You can get us at MGO Radio. You can listen to us 24-7. We have good messages on there. We have good Christian music on there. And it will be a real blessing to your heart and to your soul as you listen to that each day. I trust that the Lord will continue to bless you and watch over you this next week. Please pray for us. And we ask that you would continue to ask the Lord to help us to continue this broadcast on the air. May the Lord bless you and keep you in a mighty way.